0: The Word of God from Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am. Abraham replied, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show to you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and Saddled his donkey. He took with him his two servants and Isaac. When he had finished cutting enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, he looked up in the distance and saw the place. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will return to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I heard it a lot more growing up than I hear it today. You'll remember those. Those were the, um, when you were watching TV, the tests of the emergency broadcast system. Your screen would go blank. Things would beep. And then they would tell you, this is a test. This is only a test for the next 60 seconds. And then suddenly it made sense why your picture had gone out. Why, things were not clear. I bet Abraham wished he had heard that. In a very deep and dark moment, things must have gotten very fuzzy for Abraham. The picture that he had must have been shaken to complete darkness when he heard these words. Take your son, your only son whom you love. But there were some other words that that we know that Abraham didn't hear. This is a test. This is only test a test but he didn't know that and how difficult it must have been to think of giving up isaac for isaac was born when abraham was a hundred years old for years and years he had waited for this child how difficult it must have been for sarah sarah was 90 years old when the child was born in fact in the very next chapter of genesis chapter 23 sarah's buried The rabbis used to say the shock of the request that God made to Abraham was so great that Sarah killed over and died. We don't know that, how difficult it must have been. But it's still difficult for us today as Christians. For many people, it's the most difficult story in the Bible. When Cheryl was doing the children's sermon at 8.30, she was doing it without children. And what she said to us was, I'll have to soften this a bit, the story of Abraham and Isaac, for the children, and how we wish that the story would get softened for us. How stark, how difficult, how very dark this notion of taking your son, your only son whom you love, and offering him as a sacrifice. For decades, for centuries, for millennia, people have tried to understand the story and to wrestle some meaning out of it. I remember when I was in seminary years and years ago, One of the things they taught us was, this isn't that bad a story. Really what it is doing is it's teaching Abraham that we don't sacrifice children, we sacrifice animals. And so it was just to teach him, get him going on the mountain, and and show him that's not how we do it, we do it another way. At some level, this makes sense. If you read um, the Bible, one of the things that happens uh, early, uh, just after the days of Abraham, is the king of Moab, in order to try to ensure victory in battle, sacrifices his only son to gain a victory he hopes we certainly know that the canaanites who lived in the promised land as a part of their fertility cult as a part of worshiping baal every family was required to give up their firstborn son so that there would be crops for the whole community in the next year other civilizations did in fact practice this terrible practice At the same time, at the time of Abraham, animal sacrifice, according to scholars, was already known in in many parts of the world. So maybe God's doing that, but maybe there's something else. When I got out of seminary, one of the things I read was a book by a German scholar, Gerhard von Rad. And uh, he had suggested that what's really going on here is Abraham is being tested to see if he understands that this child really doesn't belong to him. This child belongs to God. This child is pure gift. Abraham and Sarah were barren. They had no children. Abraham was 100 years old when out of the blue they get a child. Out of the blue in chapter 12, God makes them a promise and some years later fulfills that promise. And so what Von Rod said is we need to understand that all of life, in fact, every child is a gift. We haven't earned them. We do not own them. They come from God. And I thought that was helpful at some, le- at some level. I remember reading a book by John Claypool. Some of you may have met him. He worked at Episcopal Church here in San Antonio for a few years, uh, died just a couple years ago. But as a younger man, he had lost his 10-year-old daughter, Laura Lou, to leukemia. And he said as he struggled with this in his life, he said the only text in Scripture that really seemed to help him and speak to him was this Genesis 22. And Von Rod's interpretation that a child, any child, is a gift from God. And he said, the only way I was able to go forward was to say the ten years we had together were a gift from God. And I'm grateful for those days. That made some sense to me, but more recently I read another theory about what's being tested. It's in the book The Jesus Way that we preach on on Sunday morning and we talk about uh, at different classes during the week. And in this, Eugene Peterson says, what's being tested here is does Abraham think he controls God? Does Abraham think that God is there for Abraham's use and convenience? And Peterson has this wonderful quote. He said, the thing about testing is it reveals to us that we want to control God and then eventually moves us back to the place where God is God and we are not. So what's going on, says Peterson, is is Abraham is being challenged, do you really think God is only there to make things easy and good for you? And in this test, he learns that he is there to serve God. Could be. Quite frankly, I don't have an explanation. I don't know that any of those take the darkness away from me. None of them really are thorough enough. But here's what I, I discovered in this search and in this struggle to find meaning is Abraham never asked for an explanation, Abraham never asks, why? What do you mean? How can you ask this? Abraham just does what God calls him to do. He simply obeys. Abraham, here I am, he says. Take your son, your only son, and we're told next. He gets up early the next morning and starts preparing for the trip. Abraham, you see, has lived a life in which everything God has asked him to do, with maybe two exceptions, he has done God asked him to leave Ur the Chaldees. He did. Leave Haran. He did. Leave Shechem. He did. Leave Bethel. He did. Leave Beersheba. He did. Leave the good land for Lot, the land of Sodom. He did. And most recently, leave his son that was by the slave Hagar, another son, Ishmael. Leave, let him go and live in the desert of Paran. And you go and Sarah... Another place. And every time he did, every time Abraham asks, is asked something by God, he does it. And I started thinking about the only person who seems to need explanation about this story is me. Abraham doesn't seem to need one. If, if God said it and called him, there must be reason enough to do it. And so he does. And so I started thinking, maybe life and the life of faith is not so much about our understanding God As it is about our obeying God. And that sometimes things will happen that we simply don't understand, but we need to keep going. And we don't have time to call time out and try to get an explanation before we can move forward. It struck me that maybe our life of faith is about doing what God has called us to do, even in those times when we don't see the picture very clearly and we can't understand where it's going great preacher of the last century, George Buttrick, put it this way. He said, life is a series of events to be born and lived through, not a series of riddles to be answered. If you have to understand everything before you go do it, you won't do anything. If you have to understand everything that's going to happen in the life of your child, you'll never have children. If you have to understand everything exactly for the next 20 years that will happen in your new job, you'll never take it. And the life of faith is the same way. The search for understanding sometimes paralyzes us. We are called to follow, to obey. Jesus says, come, and they came. Jesus says, go, and they went without explanation. And a lot of things they never really understood one of the things we did when I went to uh, Israel is we studied something that happened to the disciples in Israel, and it was a place called the Gates of Hades. You may remember that story where uh, Jesus takes the disciples there and says, you know, I-, I tell you, Peter, the Gates of Hades won't stand against you. Well, the disciples move on, at least five of the twelve, as I've said, uh, to Asia Minor, and Philip settles in a town called Heropolis, and there is a temple to a false god, to Zeus and next to it is something called the plutonium out of which gases emerge and the local people there call it the gates of Hades. Philip didn't completely understood, understand what had happened 30 years earlier, what Jesus was preparing him for, but Jesus said go and he went and he figured it out at the time and it came together. I'm wondering If the life of faith isn't so much about understanding as it is following. And I'm wondering, furthermore, if in the following we get an understanding that we would have never gotten in the first place. That maybe after we followed, things become clear. After Abraham gets to the top of the mountain, you'll recall, then he finds the ram that is sacrificed and the child is spared. And he understands now that if God calls you to a test, God will give you the answer to the test. Paul put it this way, that no one is tempted beyond their ability and that if God tests you, God will prepare a way out for you. That's in 1 Corinthians 10. And he figured that out. You Remember Indiana Jones looking for the Holy Grail? And he knows there's Dr. Jones, his, his father, knows there's some tests involved when they get to wherever the Grail is. And, and the answers are in uh, the research he's done. And and Indiana says, what what kind of tests are these? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. We won't know until we get there. But we'll need to use the things that we've learned. And sure enough, when they get there, they apply the answers that they had no idea how they would use them in a way that helped them. Sometimes we don't get to understanding until we follow and obey first. And Abraham follows and he understands that God will test, but God will always give you the way out. Does this sound familiar to you? A year ago, I preached the very same sermon because we were in a series on Abraham. But I missed something. And I'm really embarrassed that I missed it. And I don't know if you missed it too, so I'm going to rewind the scripture reading for you. See if you can pick it up. On the third day, he looked in the distance and saw the place. What day did Abraham and Isaac reach the mountain? What day did he find the ram caught in the thicket? What day did Abraham find the answer he was looking for? The third day. Abraham doesn't know it, but all throughout the rest of the Bible, when, it gets, when the Bible says it's in the third day, something's going to happen. Something's going to break loose. Things you previously didn't get are going to come together. God says to Moses, take a three-day journey into the wilderness and the exodus. Because the third day is freedom. On the third day, they'll be out of the reach of the Pharaoh. A little bit later, God's presence resides along with the Ten Commandments and Aaron's uh, staff in the Ark of the Covenant, the Lost Ark. But before it ever got lost, it got captured by the Philistines. And they took it to their temple of their god, Dagon. And on the third day, the people got so embarrassed at what the Ark of the Covenant was doing to their god, they would find him upside down and on the ground, bowing before the Ark. Then on the third day, they finally said, enough. And they sent the Ark of the Covenant back home on the third day. On the third day, Jonah, who had been swallowed by the great fish, got spit up on the shore and preached repentance that saved an entire city called Nineveh. On the third day, Esther went to the king and asked him to foil Haman's plan to eradicate every Jew who lived in Persia. On the third day, she went. On the third day, the Messiah, thought to be killed, his body lying in a cold tomb, emerges on the third day his apostle paul struck by blindness when he meets jesus on the road to damascus has his eyes opened and begins his ministry on the third day in the bible it always comes together on the third day all that stuff we didn't understand that was hurting us and and causing us such confusion when the screens on our uh, our tvs seem to go blank comes back on and we see in colors that we have never seen before. Are you struggling? Are you tired? Are there difficulties in your family? I don't know what day you're in. Maybe you're in the first day. Maybe it's been longer than that and you're well into the second day. All I know is that the third day is coming. And on that day, we will see, we will know, and we will understand. But until that day comes, on all the first and second days in which we find ourselves, all we can do is keep following. We must keep following.